Thank you, singers and musicians. Amen. I've got, we've got nine or ten gentlemen that uh, we meet once or twice a month. And uh, great young men and some elders in there. And I believe God's going to do great things through. And I've told each of them to have a message about ten minutes ready. And they'll never know when it's going to be time to preach it. And so I told Brother Billy as I was walking to the platform, it's his turn tonight to kick it off. But I believe the Holy Ghost is going to help him. Amen. Put your hands together. Don't you love Brother Billy? Thank you, Pastor. Won't we continue that hand clap of praise to the Lord? It's a wonderful presence of the Lord in this house tonight. I'm so thankful to be here with each and every person. I'm thankful to be in the house of the Lord. For the freedoms that we have to meet here on Sundays and Wednesdays is often taken for granted. Um, we'll break up the routine a little bit tonight of service. I'll go ahead and pray and then let y'all be seated because I have a little bit of lengthy scripture. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity tonight, God. I ask, Lord, that you would anoint my lips of clay, God. Lord, let me be a vessel for your word tonight, God. Speak through me. Touch somebody's heart in this place. I give you all the praise and honor and glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. You may be seated. Um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be going to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, the first verse through the 22nd verse. John chapter 11, 1 through 22. And it says, Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified there be. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that saith he to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he said unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go, that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spoke of, spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent you may believe, nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about fifteen furlongs off, and many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them, on, comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. I would like to start off tonight by posing a question. Has anyone ever been blind, blind, blindsided? I'll get it in a minute. Blindsided by life. You don't have to raise your hand, but 
You caught yourself, it, life caught you by surprise. You're living by God to the best of your ability. You're being faithful to the house of God, reading His Word and fasting and praying to God. It seemed like you had every box on that spiritual checklist, so to speak, checked. But still, somehow, throughout all of that, you were hit with this thing, this trial in life, this tragedy, this test goes on and on. Um, or maybe you weren't even blindsided by life. Maybe you were just caught up in the, in the ebb and flow of life. Maybe you were just caught up in work, kind of like me this week. I, seems like I take one step this way. They call me over here to do this, and I get to doing that, and it won't be very long. I get a phone call to go over here, and I'm having to set a reminder just to remember what I was supposed to do on the first thing because my mind is just so entangled in the stuff of life. I'd like to talk to us on the subject for a little while Waiting on the Lord. Twice in just these 23 verses of Scripture, it is indicated to us that God loves these people who are facing this great test. In verse 3 it says, Lord, behold, he, the, he whom thou lovest is sick. Then in verse 5 it goes on to say, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. It is no mystery that God surely loved all of these people. Um, God loves us, we, but we are not exempt from life much like them. Just because God loves us, we're still going to face things in life. Lazarus, he still has to die, and Mary and Martha, they're still left with this thing to bury their brother. I'm sure that, that they felt like we do at times. They most likely seen that God had forsaken them, that He didn't love them or He didn't care for them, but He loved them. Just like each and every one of us, sometimes we think, oh, God doesn't love me because I'm facing this trial, but He loves you. He thinks, well, I've gone too far. God can't touch this, but He can. In verse 2, it says, It was Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped His feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. This is the second verse of this story. Why did the writer feel the need to explain that it was Mary who broke the alabaster box? I believe it was to let us know that this was just no ordinary person. This wasn't just a, a, a Joe Blow, if you will, down the street. This lady was a worshiper. She was a woman that went and she gave all she had to God. Many people said, what is this waste? But she poured it out all to God. And I think he put in that to let us know that she was a worshiper letting us know that even though you may come in here every Sunday, every Wednesday, you may have all those checks by, by your boxes on there, that you may come in and worship and give God all that you have, but there's still going to be those trials that face us. We're still going to go through things in life. We're still have, going to have to walk the low road every now and again. Um, verse 6 tells us, When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. This... Is where the waiting on the Lord comes into play. Even after hearing the news of Lazarus being dead, the Lord, He still chose to wait two more days to begin the journey that would take Him already. Uh, it took two days, and then He waited two more. So it took four days. A lot of times we, we get a trial in our life, and we want the Lord, like, like Brother Jeremy says, we want the microwave generation. We want it done right then and there because that's the way life is now. I want to talk to somebody that's right there. I want to see them that's right there. But it's a process sometimes. God is going to, He's going to try us. He's going to see if we can hold on. The Bible says that patience is virtue. We must wait on the Lord through those hardships of life. Well, I didn't think this would quite go as quickly as it is, but um, I'm kind of coming to a close here, Pastor. Um, 
I would like to reiterate to us that God loves us. He knows who you are. He knows the numbers of hair on your head. They're, they're not just one through 100. They're numbered. And he knows that mine are thinning, that they're leaving out. But even though he knows all that, the Bible says that without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. We do not get the option to play God. We just have to hold on to his hand and walk with him. In some instances, he may never answer those prayers. Or Lazarus may never rise up from the grave. It may never happen. In Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You may, waste, you may say, well, Brother Billy, that's not very uplifting to me. That's not uplifting at all. That, that isn't good news to me. That doesn't tell me, you know, it's going to happen. And it, I'm not saying that the God won't do it, but it goes on. The story, I didn't read quite that far, but it says... Um, I think is arguably the best news of this story rather than Lazarus being raised. It says in verses 24 through 26, Martha saith unto him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? I don't know the if or the why, but I knew that the words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy, Lord, are going to be worth it all one day. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, we give you praise, God. 2 Timothy 4, 7-8 says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not only to me, but unto thee, all of them that love his appearing. Just finish the race as you wait on him. Could we stand and give the Lord some praise? Thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity. We just want to hold on to your hand today, God. Even though trials may come, Jesus, we're going to hold on to your hand. We're going to give you the praise and we're going to finish this race together in Jesus' name. Oh, let's clap our hands once again unto the Lord, waiting on the Lord. Amen. Well, nobody ever complains about a short-winded preacher. I'll take those extra minutes and tack them on to what I've allotted myself for tonight. Great job, Brother Billy. Amen. And if you don't think so, let me ask you what church time that you're preaching. Then you'll find out just how easy it is or how hard it is. That's a great job on a moment's notice. Amen. While you're standing, we're turning our attention to the book of Luke, chapter number 7. And let me just give you a couple of updates on things that's happening around here. Uh, we moved Brother Don and Sister Jane into their new abode this week. Amen. I know they're excited. Still putting the finishing touches on it, but uh, they're a lot closer, and I so appreciate their faithfulness in what they do for the kingdom of God. And today we also bought that little piece of property right there next to that other, the bigger building. Uh, it's the smaller little building, so 
we were able to secure that. So I'm, I'm thankful for the blessings of God. Amen. Paid cash for everything, and we give God praise for it. Bible says, in beginning with verse 1, now when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. A certain centurion servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. And when he had heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee. But say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned him about and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent returning to the house found the servant whole that had been sick. Jesus said, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. I'll preach just for a little bit on the key to great faith. The key to great faith. One more time, would you lift your hands as we ask the Holy Ghost to help us. Father, without you, this word will not make sense. It takes revelation. It takes the touch of the Holy Ghost. God, I pray that you would minister to our hearts. Lord, that you would open up our understanding and our revelation. We thank you for what you're going to do. We give you glory and praise. Can we clap our hands unto the Lord and give him praise? Amen. Lord bless you as you're seated. The key to great faith. This story is not an unfamiliar story. It is one of the stories often told when speaking of the miracles uh, recorded in the, uh, the Gospels of Jesus Christ. It speaks of the time where it's, it's pretty self-explanatory, but when Jesus came to Capernaum, he was met with uh, the elders of the Jews. They were hired, if you could say that, on behalf of this centurion who had a servant that was sick in his house. He sent these men to find out if the Lord would come. He didn't know who Jesus was, never met Jesus. The Bible said that he heard of Jesus. And so these men besought Jesus and said that uh, we need you to come. This man is he's a good man. This man is a giving man. This man is worthy that you should come to his house. And so the Lord makes his way to that house. And before he even gets there, here's this man and those that were with him that comes and, and begins to speak and say, Lord, 
I understand what it's like to be in authority. And, and you don't have to come to my house, but you have enough authority to speak the word. And at that word, I believe that my servant would be made whole. And here Jesus says, I have not found this kind of faith in all of Israel. And at the word, this servant was made whole. And I began to ponder throughout the day today as I was chewing over this text and mulling it over and praying in my spirit and I asked the Lord, God, what is the key to great faith? Now, we all have a measure of faith. Every person that's ever been born has the ability to believe in something. The reason that you put your key in your car, well, now it's most of it's push button, but however you start your car, you do that because you believe that when I do this, there's going to be a reaction. There's going to be a reward. You turn on a light switch because you believe when I do this that there will be light. In its very simplest form, that is faith. That is believing that when I do something, there's going to be a reaction to what I do. Everybody is given the measure of faith and that measure of faith was placed within our heart because God knew there would be a time that his spirit would begin to draw you to a place of repentance. And if you did not have that faith, if you did not have the ability to believe, then you would not believe that there was a God that could forgive your sins. And you would not believe that there was a God that could turn your situation around. And so at some point in your life, that measure of faith was sparked when that invitation from God came to respond to the call of God. And so the Bible tells us that by grace are ye saved through faith. It's the grace of God that opened the door of salvation. But it takes faith to walk through the door. Grace says, I know you don't deserve it. I know that you didn't do anything for it, but I'm going to give you the invitation. But it takes faith on your part to say, thank you for loving me enough. When my family gave up on me, when my friends gave up on me, when I didn't have anything to offer you, when I didn't have anything to bring to the table, there was grace. And my faith says, I'm going to walk and receive the the invitation for by grace are ye saved through faith and then the writer says in Ephesians 3 17 that Christ may dwell in your heart how by faith you know if Christ was this music stand I could touch it I could see it. I could move it. It would take no faith. 
But because you can't track God and because you can't touch God, because he is not tangible such as this bottle, bottle of water where I can move him from one side to the other. I can see him with my human senses. Then it requires faith to know that he's there. So how does Christ dwell in our hearts when we can't see him? By faith. I believe that he's there. I believe that he hears. I believe that every day his mercy and his grace is new every morning. It's that measure of faith that is all within us that, that, that God put inside of us that when the enemy comes along and says that God can't hear you, my faith says not only can God hear me, God is in me. God is with me. The Bible said that he's a very present help in the time of trouble. I need somebody to believe with me tonight that you have Christ in you by faith. Somebody shout by faith. By faith. It takes, it takes faith to live for God. But it's not the will of God for us to stay on the introductory level of faith which is the measure that God gave us. But the Bible says in the book of Romans that therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. That means there has to be levels of faith. You ought to have more faith after living for God for 10 years than you did when you lived for God for five years. Why? Because somewhere along the way, you learned how to pray. And you learned how to get a hold of God. And God proved that I hear. And God proved that I'll answer. And so when God heals your headache, then it builds your faith to another level. And then you can believe for something else. And when God does that, you move to another level of faith. Has anybody ever seen God work? And it built your faith up to another day. I come to preach on a Wednesday night about a God that can do all and see all and know all and is in you all. You ought to stand to your feet right now and begin to clap your hands unto God. If he's ever done anything for you, don't you ever forget it. Hallelujah. But I don't want to just have faith. I want to have great faith. So what's the key? What's the secret to great faith? The first thing you have to have, you ready for this? I didn't even go to Bible college to give you this. You got to have a problem. Most of us go, nope. Don't want it. 
I don't want the problem. Just give me the great faith. We want the answer without having to go through the problem. You know why I never liked math? All it was was problems. Problem after pro- I can't even do the math they do today. They, I didn't like the old math. I don't like the new math. The new math has more problems than the old math. Because they don't know the answer to the new math. You've got to draw a thousand circles to just get two plus two. If you don't understand it, help your grandchildren or your children with math. Got to have a problem. But you know how God grows people? Adversity. He uses struggles. He uses trials. He uses situations that you don't have the answer for. Because if you had the answer, you wouldn't grow. If you could fix it, it wouldn't require faith. And this centurion had a problem. The servant whom he loveth. Wasn't just Joe Blow that was a number that could be replaced. It was his right hand man, if I could put it like that. And it was so impactful that at the thought of losing this servant, he said, I got to do something because somebody's fixing to die without help. And at that moment, He heard of Jesus. Why didn't he hear of Jesus when the guy got sick? He heard of Jesus when the guy was about to die. Because usually Jesus will step in not when your problem begins, but when it's at the very end and you can't handle it anymore. Because if he steps in at the beginning, then you're not going to get past the measure of faith. But if he'll just let that thing rock on a little while, then it's going to force you to look. It's going to force you to look for something outside of your realm of resources. It's going to force you to go, God, I need you now more than I've ever needed you before. If you're looking at your situation and it's only getting worse, then you better keep looking because when it gets to the worst, that's when the Lord shows up. Yes. Somebody shout great faith. So here he is. The key, the first key, I should have put keys. Keys to great faith because this just hit me. His prayer was selfless. He became an intercessor between somebody who was fixing to die without Jesus and the Lord. The first key to having great faith is you got to get past self-centered prayers. He didn't but besought, besiege, seek. I tried to be a KJV there for a second. He didn't seek the Lord for his behalf. 
He sought the Lord on somebody else's behalf. And how many people do you know that are fixing to die and have never met the Lord? How many people do you know on a daily basis that they're at the end of their rope and the only option they have is Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, you want great faith? Start taking your eyes off of your problems and start looking at people that don't have God. Start looking at people that are fixing to perish and they need God in their life. If you want to get God's attention, you start weeping between the porch and the altar. Hey, you know why Jesus could relate to this man? It's because he was on the earth doing the same thing. He was trying to reach people that were going to die without knowing who he was. And he was that mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And he'd say, I'm going to weep between the porch and the altar so somebody can, hey, you need to start thinking about people that are not going to make it unless somebody reaches them. Oh, Jesus. So here he is. He sends people. He says, you go tell them. And this is what they do, Brother Jamie. They show up to Jesus and say, all right, we got somebody that you need to come and work on his behalf. He's not just a nobody. He's somebody. This is what they said, Brother Black. Put that up there. Go, go to about verse number four or five or six. Somewhere between one and ten. No, next one. No, 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 I'm sorry. We're in Luke, not 2 Kings. You're jumping ahead of me, Brother Greg. So he goes and tells them that he was worthy. This isn't just Joe Blow. This big dog right here. He's worthy. He's going to go to the next verse. He says, for he loveth our nation and hath built us a synagogue. Go to the next verse. Watch this. You're going to miss it. Then Jesus went with them. And we'll stop right there. This baffled me. I'm reading this going, hold it. Hold it. If you keep reading in the New Testament, you'll find where it instructs us not to treat people based upon who they are. Jesus did not cater to people based upon their social status. He, Paul says, if you got somebody come in and he's dressed to the nines, and you got somebody come in and he's dirt poor, don't you treat either of these people differently. You treat them all the same. That's what Wallace Ridge believes in, is we treat everybody the same. It don't matter who they are, they all have the same opportunity at Calvary. And so this struck me. It looks as if Jesus is contradicting who he is and what he believes. Because it looks as if, Brother Caleb, that they convinced him to respond to this need based upon who this man was. And Jesus didn't play favorites. Jesus didn't cater to the Pharisees and to the religious people. He didn't care who they were. 
could it be that he knew what was coming and that he was fixing to use this as a lesson to teach everybody around him, Brother Zach, because he was never going to make it to the man's house because he knew what kind of faith was going to meet him before he got there. And so when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself. In other words, he, said, he, he, he felt bad. He said, you tell him, don't even worry. Watch this. I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. The people he sent were saying, this man's worthy. This man's worthy. He's a somebody. And yet when, when, when he gets close, the man comes out and says, hold it. No. I am not worthy to have you even come visit my house. Here's the key the Lord spoke to me. He said the key to great faith is humility. Because your pride will try to rise up and say that I can do it by myself. I don't need nobody's help. But when humility takes over, he says, God, I know I'm not worthy. And anything you do for me is just out of the love of your heart. My friend, if you want to see a miracle, you better get humble before the Lord and realize that it's not we that had made us. It is him that did it. Clap your hands right now unto the Lord. Oh God. Here they are. This man says, God, I, Lord, I understand authority. I realize authority. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. You've got to realize where none of us are worthy to get a miracle from God. God does not move on our behalf based upon who we are. If that's the case, he would never have to do a single miracle. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And brother, when I look back at times in my life, when I saw God work the heart the, the most, I was the most broken I'd ever been. I didn't understand what was happening. But when I look back now, I realize that if you want to see God work, you got to go down before he picks you up. And as long as that pride tries to hold on, I can make more money and I can fix my financial situation. I can do, I can read more books and I can fix my relational situation. Ah, ah, ah. That pride tries to say I could do it. I can make it work. And as long as you're still trying, God's just standing there saying I can't do anything as long as you're going to try to do it. And he'll just let you Keep making a mess of it. He'll let you keep digging that hole. Digging that hole. But somewhere along the way, humility is going to have to kick in.
as your pride taps out and God allows you to realize I can't fix this by myself. I can't do this by myself. You can do all, you can do as much as you want to do and God will let you. But God will allow you to get to that point where humility is going to rise to the surface and he's, you're going to say, God, I've done everything I can. I've, I'm like that woman with the issue of blood. I've tried. I've spent all my money. And the Bible says she was nothing better, but rather grew worse. How many times are we guilty of praying without letting God do what God wants to do? How many times is God trying to intervene? And we've got enough faith to pray, but not enough faith to let go. We've got enough faith to believe, but not enough faith to receive. The difference, the Bible said, he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If you're going to come to God, that's because you have first came to the realization that you can't do it by yourself and that you need the touch and the help of God. But friend, when you get the realization that I need somebody that has an answer more than me and you start making a move toward God, then you're going to begin to see the hand of God work in your situation. If you believe it, clap your hands unto the Lord. We're living in a world full of pride. We've got more technology than we've ever had. We've got more wisdom and books than we've ever had. But we've got less miracles than we've ever had. Because our abundance has become our downfall. Because we rely upon the arm of the flesh more than we rely upon the provision and the touch of God. And if you go to overseas countries that don't have everything that we have, you know what they've got? They've got revival. They've got miracles. They've got signs and wonders. Because they realize if it's going to happen, it's going to be because God made it happen. Stand with me. I want you to put Second Kings up, Brother Greg. We've heard the story. Name and captain the host of Syria. Great man. Watch how it describes him. Great man with his master. Honorable. These are traits everybody would want. Because of he, or because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was a mighty man in valor. But we've all got that. Good people. Strong people. Faithful people. Victorious people. But he had a problem. We want everything but the last five words to be said about us. But everybody in here has the last five words. But he had a problem. You can't get a miracle without those five words. You can't get to great faith 
without those five words. Somewhere along the way, Naaman, I got to humble you. I'm going to allow leprosy to come into your life. I'm fully convinced that God allows situations to come into our life for the sole reason of humbling us. Paul, you're going to reach the Gentiles. You're going to write most of the New Testament. You're going to have revelation the likes of which nobody else has ever seen. You're going to go to places in the spirit that nobody will ever believe you. But, Paul, I got to put a thorn. I got to put a thorn. Naaman, you're honorable. You're going to lead people. You're going to be a great man of valor. But, you're going to be a leper. Don't look at your problem as the judgment of God. Look at your problem as the love of God. Because he loved you enough to allow something in your life that's going to draw you closer to him. It may not be what you want, but it's going to be what you need. Because the only way you can see more of God is to grow into another faith, another realm of faith in God. Because the righteousness of God is revealed. How? Faith to faith. Keep going, verse 2. And the Syrians had gone out by companies, brought away captive of the land of Israel, a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. Here was a servant. She waited on Naaman's wife. Seemingly a nobody in the overall grand scheme of things. Keep going. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria? For he would recover him of his leprosy. Here's somebody that has two little lines right here. What was she? She was an intercessor. She said, There's a man of God over here. And a man with a problem right here. Sounds a lot like, like that centurion that stood between the servant, between the problem and the answer. Great faith. Was it self-centered faith? And we talk about naming all the time. But let's talk about the little servant girl who just had enough faith to say, hey, if he'd get to that man of God, his problem would be gone. And verse number four, one went in and told his Lord, saying, thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. In other words, hey, she said you could be healed if you get over there. Verse number five. So when the king of Syria said, go to, and I'll send a letter unto the king of Israel. He departed and took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 pieces of gold, and 10 changes of raiment. Next verse. And he brought the letter of the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is coming to thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. Verse 7, Came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes, and said, Am I God to kill and make a lie that this man doth send unto me recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. He thought it was a setup. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Next verse. So Naaman came with his horses. 
with his chariot. Stood at the door of the house of Elijah. And Elisha didn't even go out and meet him. But he sent a messenger unto him saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times and thy flesh shall come again to thee and thou shalt be clean. Watch this. But Naaman was wroth. You know what caused that anger? Pride. You know why people miss out on their miracles? Pride. Because it didn't happen like he thought it was going to happen. This is what he thought. Well, I thought this prophet would come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place. In other words, I expected a show. And I didn't even get a hello. Heard a story of someone who come up for prayer and the man of God prayed for and he just put his hand and said a simple prayer and she said well I don't feel anything so he put his hand and he just started and he said you feel better she said yes it's a show some people don't get what they want from God. Not because of God, but they're wanting the wrong thing. They're wanting attention. They're wanting attention. You realize, I'm not condoning or, or, or affirming their doctrine, but do you realize people get healed at all types of crusades, not because of the man up there, but because somebody believes the word. And they believe in the name. And no man came and put their hand on them or created a spectacle, but they believed in their heart, in the word, and got what they needed from God. And here's a man who was wroth. So verse 12, Are not Abana and Par... Par Far part rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel. May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and he went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? Much rather then, when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean. Next verse. Then went he down. And dipped himself seven times in Jordan. According to the man of God. And his flesh came again. Like unto the flesh of a little child. You know what happened? He transitioned. From pride. To humility. As long as we hang on to our pride. Musicians you could come. We'll never get our miracle from God. You'll constantly be struggling trying to make it happen yourself. I know people right now that have worked themselves to death trying to do it on their own. You'll never make enough money. You'll never be smart enough to do it all on your own. But when that pride will surrender, 
and your humility rises to the top and you realize, God, without you, I'm nothing. Without you, I'll never be healed. I'll never be saved. I'll never be delivered. I'll never have my finances in order. Whatever it is that applies to your life, without God, it will not work. It won't work. But when you humble yourself, say, God, I need you. God, I need you. You may be walking through the biggest trial of your life right now and you're just trying to do everything you can to stay afloat. My friend, you can only stay afloat so long, but there's somebody that knows how to calm a troubled sea. There's, no, there's somebody that knows how to speak into a situation and if you've got enough faith to walk on a word, to walk on a word, 12 got the invitation. We're able to see Jesus walking on the water. But one stepped out. I believe pride held 11 people back because they were bound by the what if. What if I step out and nothing happens? But there was one that said, I'm going to step out because I got a word. I believe it's fitting tonight for you to make your way to this altar. When you come to this altar, we're not going to come beg God for anything, but we're going to come lift our hands to heaven and say, God, I need you more than I've ever needed you before.